For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. Our scripture reading this morning is from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so they, they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The word of the Lord. So uh, in the first century, women were not allowed to testify in court. Did you know that? Uh, They were not allowed to testify in court because they were not seen as equal to men in the Jewish world. And so it is amazing and beautiful that Mark, the writer of this gospel, chooses to place the most important historical event in Christianity witnessed by women, people who nobody would believe, but there they are, witnessing the resurrection of Jesus. And I love that. I love that of all the times in human history that Jesus could have chosen, that God could have chosen to become human, God chose to become a poor, oppressed Middle Eastern man in the first century. And when he was executed, he rose again after three days, and women found his tomb empty. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, as told by women. And I love that. Richard Rohr says this, many Christians fervently believe in Jesus' bodily resurrection but they never get to the knife edge of experience and allow the resurrection of their own hearts or of history itself. Many Christians fervently believe in Jesus' bodily resurrection, but never get to the knife edge of experience and allow the resurrection of their own hearts or of history itself. So here's an all-play question, even on Easter. If you're new around here, all-play questions are designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the solo. So what's the one necessary thing for resurrection to happen? Thank you. Correct answer. Greg, nice job. Death is the one necessary thing for resurrection to happen. Jesus hung on 
to his life as long as he could, and then he embraced death. And without that, resurrection is not possible. So we celebrate the the resurrection once a year, but we avoid death the other 364 days. Amen? And that's probably a good thing. But in order to experience resurrection, the kind of life that Jesus leads us into, the kind of life that Jesus is out ahead of us already moving, we have to face deaths, even the little deaths. So here's another all-play question. What are some little deaths that are easy to avoid for 21st century Western Christians? Say it again. Silence. Silence. Okay. Listening. Okay. Hunger, yeah. If I'm hungry, I can generally eat. What about a headache? I can generally take a Tylenol or three. What else? Little deaths. Yesterday morning, when we all woke up and found out that We were living in hell, actually. (laughs) Many of you used words that are not permissible. (laughs) I actually got a text from someone, one of my dear friends, who never uses words like that shouldn't be used. And I mean, I had to make sure that my kids weren't around when I read that text. But you know what? Pretty soon later on, the sun melted the snow in our driveway. And we moved on. There is no resurrection if you don't embrace the little deaths. And there are bigger deaths to embrace. The addiction that trips you up again. The relational loss that keeps pounding you. The loneliness that you've been keeping at bay. What would it look like to embrace those little deaths? so that we can move into a resurrection that's bigger than just a a historical event that we celebrate once a year by putting on our finest and by going out to brunch afterwards. Carl Jung said this, and I'm not sure if I've ever quoted Carl Jung in an Easter message before, (laughs) but here we go. What happens in the life of Christ happens always and everywhere. All play. What did Carl Jung mean by that? Any guesses? What happens in the life of Christ happens always and everywhere. Surrender. Surrender. Amen. Death. Death. Yep. What else? Arising, yes, resurrection happens every day. And the seasons try to tell us this, even though, gosh, this season, we're just really hanging on. It's a little hard to believe. But in July, the grass will be green. Day turns to night, and then night turns to day, every single day. Day. We get older. Our kids get older. Our loved ones die. 
When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome. Anyone ever heard of Salome before? Honestly, me neither. So we're going to move right on. (laughs) Apparently a disciple of Jesus brought spices so they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. So a couple of noticings, if you'd allow me to. When the Sabbath was over, Jesus was crucified on a Friday night. His body was taken down before the Sabbath. And then they experienced the Sabbath together. Because why? Why did they choose to celebrate the Sabbath on that Saturday? That's what you do. That's what the Jewish people have done ever since they were a people. On Saturday, on Friday night actually, when you could first see those three stars at night, Sabbath begins. And it ends on Saturday night. Sometimes when the worst thing happens and you don't know what to do, the only thing you know to do is let tradition hold you. You gather with people, you sing songs, you light candles, you eat food, and that's all you know how to do. You cry. You don't work. You stop. You stop obsessing. You stop thinking that the world revolves around you. You stop and you eat and you cry and you wait. So I love that's what these women did. That's what the followers of Jesus did after Jesus died. They let their tradition hold them. And I think for some of us, right, coming to church on a Sunday morning, it's like, man, hope it's awesome. Woo! Hope Haynes gets that little vein on his forehead because that's how I'll know the spirit has descended. Hope Becky Patton's preaching. It's good to hope all those things, right? But I wonder if sometimes, like, when we come together, sometimes we just need to say, I might come with zero faith, I might come with a lot of faith, but when we come together, whether you have zero faith or a lot of faith, whether you get an amazing amount out of the sermon or not, and in fact, one of my, one of my great friends, a couple of weeks ago, I was saying, yeah, these, these people came to Genesis for the first time, and um, they loved it. And the guy said, they loved it today? And I, and I go, I go, yeah. And seriously, he goes, man, you weren't even at your best. I think he said it even worse than that. Like, whew, to, today, huh? Wow, God is amazing. Like, and I was like, okay. Sometimes we, we, we show up because we need to be held by each other. We need to sing those songs and pray those prayers. And who knows whether something will happen. Usually it won't. But over the course of time, we get formed into believing that there is a God that is real. And then these women, so they've packed their spices. The kids are asleep. Their husbands are asleep. They get the thermos of coffee. And they head out to the tomb 
And then all of a sudden, one of them goes, and this is right in the scriptures, one of them goes, hey, who do you suppose is going to roll away that stone so we can get in there, get in there and anoint Jesus? And then the other one's like, oh, man, great question. It's so not like women, you know, for, to not plan, right? If it was men's like, hey, let's go. Oh, I can, you know, some sort of explosion. We can do it. But I love this because what this says to me is that after you are, um, after you are, after you sit in the sorrow and you decide to keep going, you have to then start to do what you don't know how to do. Who will roll away the stone? How will the impossible happen? If you follow Jesus where Jesus is going, after the little death that you actually experience, or the big death, after you've grieved it, and after you've decided, I'm gonna keep following where Jesus is going, you then are invited to do something that you don't know how to do. And I think this is what these women are, are teaching us. And they pack the spices, and they have no idea how that stone is gonna get rolled away. But they go anyway. And this is the life of resurrection. Amen? To go and do something you do not know how to do, and you know that you, were, you will encounter something that seems impossible. But you keep moving toward it praying that that stone will be rolled away. And then you get to the stone, you get to the tomb, and you find out it has been rolled away. And so you go in to do what you prepared to do. And then <laughs> these women see a young man in a white robe standing on the right side, and he says, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, but he's not here, he's risen. He's going ahead of you to Galilee, so tell the disciples and tell Peter, and, it, and we read that they were alarmed. <laughs> and that's a little weak word, that's a little too weak for me. So alarm means utterly astounded or greatly wondering. What does it mean to look for the living among the dead? in your life? How do you know that you're looking for something in a place that you won't find it? That's an all-play question. How do you know that you're looking for life in a place that only holds death? What do you feel? Sadness? Sorrow? Say it again unfulfillment, empty, confused, stress, hopeless, more of the same. It's just gonna keep happening over and over again. And you know, all those feelings are invitations to you to notice that thing that you're continuing to do over and over and over again in the hopes that you'll find life there, but you never find life. The invitation to the resurrected life is to go somewhere else. <laughs> like it's not that complicated. The resurrected life invites us to notice where we're hanging around, where only death is present. And to hear the young man in the white robe standing on the right side say to us, hey, you're looking for life here? 
But guess what? This is a tomb. So sometimes it's okay to leave that thing, that place, that relationship, that system, that way of believing that just cannot, it, it no longer holds life. Because Jesus is what? Jesus is moving. The gospel is going somewhere. It's not static. It's going somewhere. So we follow it, right? That's what these women are doing. He is raised. He's not here. So when the worst thing has happened and you've done what you know how to do, you rest, you, you eat food, you grieve, and then you do what you don't know what to do and you're allowed to see that death is not the end, then you gotta follow where that leads, amen? So here's an all-play question. It's a little risky. But who, who here has been allowed to see that death is not the end? In your life. Okay, you can raise your hand. That's okay. Who here has been allowed to see that death is not the end? I'm looking around at you all, and some of you aren't raising your hands, and I know your story. <laughs> you totally died. I've talked to you about it. And it wasn't the end. The affair didn't wreck you. You got fired, and that wasn't the end. She died, and actually, you grieved, but then life followed. Go tell the disciples, the young man says, especially who? Peter. Why especially Peter? Peter had a real hard time with faith. Peter, the blustery one, I will never deny you! And then he did, because we do. So, man, Peter died that night. Do you know that? He died that night. So when you follow the life, because what happens to Peter, what does he do the first time he sees Jesus after Jesus was resurrected, remember? He's fishing, and all of a sudden, John looks out toward the beach, and there's a little smoke from a fire, and someone's cooking breakfast, and then he looks a little closer, and he's like, oh, that's Jesus. And we read, we read that Peter is fishing naked, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> Peter's fishing naked, but he has to see Jesus. So what does he do? Yeah, so he puts on something, and then he dives into the water, and he goes and talks to Jesus. He dives into the water, goes under, and when he comes back up, there's Jesus. And what does Jesus ask Peter? Do you love me? After all that, like, that's the question. You know, Peter probably was like, dude, where have you been? So Peter followed the life. Peter found out that there was life after death. And when you follow the life, some of you, I know this because I know your stories, when you followed the life past the conventional understanding, past the institutional way of believing, and you've told people about it, you're so excited, 
because you've seen something that is alive for the first time in so long. And how do people respond? What church do you go to? Hmm. Some people are threatened and afraid when you experience life. You know what you need to do with those people? Invite them to church. <laughs> I heard that. You need to love them. You need to offer them grace. But you need to make sure they don't stop you from pursuing the life. Amen? You can trust it in your gut when you have experienced life. Life is always breaking out of death. Life is always astounding. When resurrection happens, it's not yawn, now when's brunch? It's like you are terrified because something radical just broke open that you didn't expect. There was no resurrection theology on these first couple of days. None, zero. No creeds. There was just a few people that seemed absolutely nuts. Jesus was walking around and disappearing in certain places, appearing behind locked doors. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, they didn't even recognize him, then they did. When you follow the life, eventually you start to tell others about it, and some won't understand, some will feel threatened. Uh, some will try to get you back in the tomb but you got to keep following the life, amen? Because some will be utterly astounded. Some will wonder greatly. I promise you. Verse 8, and this is so interesting. Was anyone a little puzzled when Jenny said the word of the Lord? Because <laughs> the last verse that she read was, so they went out, the women, and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And remember the young man who was wearing the white robe, standing on the right side, said to them, go and tell the disciples and Peter. So they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid, period. And you guys, that is the end of Mark's gospel. That is how the original gospel ends. Other stuff is added later. Every New Testament that you open up and read, there will be a line there, a little asterisk that says, this is the original ending to the gospel. <laughs> why, does, why does Mark end there? That's an all play, because I certainly don't know the answer. Why does Mark end there? It's real life. It's, real life. it's cliffhanger. <laughs> he likes cliffhangers. <laughs> he was a TV producer, actually. <laughs> There's probably a person who's bringing this message to them. Ooh, who said that? Oh, snap. Okay. The beginning of the Gospel of Mark reads this way. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, Son of God. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Son of God. What can we infer from that? That there's no ending. So when Mark ends his gospel that way, he's 
almost inviting us with his hand stretched out to say, now you enter the story and live it. You'll be terrified. You'll be overjoyed. You'll be fishing naked. <laughs> You'll be fed breakfast by Jesus. You'll have peace breathed on you by Jesus. You'll be invited to do things that you have no idea how to do. You'll encounter big stones that need to be rolled away, and they're impossible to do it. And this is the resurrection life of Jesus that he invites us to live right here and now. This is what resurrection means, amen? And we're invited into it. We're invited into that story. And Jesus the Christ is the first human being of a new beginning, a new era, a new epoch of time where death is not the end, where we're invited to be resurrected and where every single one of us are incarnations. Now, I'm not saying every single one of us are gods. Certainly we're not, and that's completely obvious by the swear words you said yesterday morning. What I am saying is that when God breathed life into you at the very beginning of your life, you are human and you have the seed of the divine in you as well. And because Jesus was resurrected from the grave and because Jesus invites us to walk in that resurrection life, we can move into the future in a completely different way. Fear, yep. Hopelessness, yep. Loss, yes. But we do not grieve as those who are without hope, the Apostle Paul writes. Because Jesus the Christ is risen. And because he rose, we will too. So we're going to move into the Eucharist in just a second. Aaron's going to lead us through that. But before we do that, we're going to offer 60 seconds of silence so that the Holy Spirit might whisper something to you. The risen Christ might invite you to go somewhere. After the 60 seconds, Aaron will lead us through the prayers and then into the Eucharist. So come Holy Spirit, speak to us now.